morning. How are you guys? You good? All right. Welcome to Kensington. Thank you for joining us for week two of our new series we started last week called Road Trip. And we're basically taking a journey with Jesus through the New Testament where we're going to make 10 stops along the way and talk about his interactions with people um, where he just had, it had an impact on them. That's one of the things, every time Jesus interacted with somebody, he impacted them. Um, just like he does you and I, whenever we have an interaction with him, he impacts us. And so we're gonna talk about how he impacted people in scripture and how he can still impact us today. And my dream for this series is that we would not um, come and do this series just on Sundays, but that we would road trip this series every day during the 10 weeks of this series. And so um, I issued a little challenge last week that a number of you took me up on. And so before I tell everyone that wasn't here what the challenge was, I want to know from those of you that did, how many of you took the challenge last week? All right, we got a good crew in here that took the challenge. Um, and the challenge was basically this. Um, the challenge was to read through the Gospels over the 10 weeks of this series, all four Gospels. Um, I have been doing that. I've, I've read through uh, Matthew 7 this morning. And so um, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus during his three and a half years of ministry. And then Luke was a doctor, and he actually took eyewitness accounts from numerous sources and put them all into one book. And, um, and I issued this challenge to everyone, high invitation, high challenge, to read every single day. There's, there's 89 chapters of, the, of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've got 63 days left in this series. And so that's a, a chapter or two a day. But this is what I said to everyone yesterday that I want to say to those of you that didn't take the challenge last week or weren't here last week. I want to promise you three things if you take this challenge on. Um, one is that you will know more about Jesus um, in, in nine more weeks than you do today if you take on this challenge. Two, you'll grow closer to Jesus um, over the next nine weeks. If you read a chapter or two a day for the next nine weeks, you'll grow closer to him and you'll be closer to him in nine weeks than you are today. And three, you will grow spiritually over the next nine weeks. In, three, in nine weeks, you will be in a different place in your spiritual life than you are today if you will take this challenge on. And so, so here's, if you want to know more, if you want to grow spiritually and grow closer to Jesus, I just want to issue the invitation to join us and the challenge to say yes. Now, I will sweeten the pot a little bit. If you do not have a Bible, we will give you a Bible today to take all excuses out of your hands. Um, we will put a Bible in your hands. If you go out to the starting point, we'll give you a Bible there. You can follow along on version. It's an app, a Bible app. It will actually read you the Bible if you're more of an auditory learner or listener. Um, but here is where we kind of go high invitation, high challenge. Um, I want to know from those of you that weren't here last week or didn't take the challenge this uh, last week, um, I want to know how many of you are willing to, from here for the next nine weeks, are willing to read a chapter to two a day of the Gospels and do this journey with us. I want you to raise your hand. You're willing to do it. Awesome. That is so cool. Let's give them a hand. Thank you for taking on the challenge. Um, you will be different. For those of you that took the challenge on last week, um, I read through Matthew 7. You read through um, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 with the Sermon on the Mount. It's amazing teaching. Um, and this week, things really start getting to be interesting in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Matthew, where um, Jesus is kind of became the hallmark of his time on earth, where he started doing a lot of healings. Um, and next week, we're going to be talking about one of those stories next week, so come back for that. Um, but last week, when we started this series, 
Um, we started at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He got baptized and then immediately went out into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And so last week we talked about temptation and how you and I can not only um, handle temptation, but actually defeat temptation. And uh, if you missed that, go back. You can watch it online, kensingtonorlando.org. You can watch or listen to it. I would really encourage you to do that. Um, but what you're going to find with every step throughout this series is that um, one of the things that stands out with Jesus is his interactions with people. Every time he interacted with somebody, they were changed for the better. They were impacted, just like you and I. When we interact with Jesus, when we finally have an encounter with Jesus, he changes us and makes us the best version of, of who we are. He changes us in the best ways possible as we journey. So today, we're going to talk about an encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus, and we're going to talk about his journey from being a fan of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. And so let's talk about being a fan for a minute. Um, there is something coming up in a month, that uh, over the next month, that I'm super excited about. Once you hit July, uh, there's something about to start that is my favorite sport. Now, um, being the chaplain for the Orlando Magic, basketball is a close second. Uh, I love the Magic. We made some great off-season moves. I think we're going to you know, have another playoff run this year. Um, but do you all know what is coming over the course of this next month into next month? Yes, thank you. You even did the touchdown signs. I'm sorry you were the only one, but you give her a hand. Thank you for responding. That's good. Um, that will be applauded when you, when you respond. But I love the start of football season, especially I'm an NFL guy, but I've recently been converted to the uh, NCAA to college football as well. But let's just start on the, on, the, on the NFL side of things. I am dating a few teams right now. I just want to be you know, transparent about my relationships. I'm dating a few teams. I'm a Tampa Bay fan. Any Tampa Bay fans out there? Okay, three. I'll take three. I'll take three. There was one in the last service. Um, any Jaguars fans? Any Jaguars fans? Okay, three claps for Jaguars. Um, uh, I'm a Jaguars fan, and then I'm a Miami fan. Miami? Okay, when Miami's playing well, okay, I got weak. Seriously, guys, that's it? Like, okay, on the count of three, I want you to yell out what NFL team you follow. One, two, three. Okay, we do have some fans out there, okay? I am also dating the Detroit Lions, okay? Long-suffering Detroit Lions fan. Um, uh, now, I'm also dating a few college teams. It's really kind of interesting. When I came from Michigan, I never watched college football because the Big Ten is up there, and it's kind of boring football. But down here, you have the SEC and the ACC, and it is like NFL-style football. So I am actually a Florida fan. Any Florida fans out there? All right, there's a few of you. Any Florida State fans out there? Okay, yep, I, there's no clapping. There's just this with Florida State, man. You don't clap. You just do this. And then I'm also a homer. UCF fans? Anybody UCF? All right, we got some UCF fans. All of us are fans of some team or another, and obviously you guys are not soccer fans because you're here instead of home watching the World Cup. So thank you for that. Soccer's not a real sport. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, I'm just kidding. It's half a sport. All right. Um, so all of us are fans of some team or another, and here's what a fan is. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. That's what a fan is. And for most fans, as long as the team is winning and there's no personal cost, they are all in. But when the team isn't winning, it's a different story. Now, being a Detroit Lions fan for over 25 years, I've been through it all. Back in 2008, anybody want to guess what the Lions record was? 0-16. That's what the Lions went, 0-16. The next year, 
Melissa and I, we broke up with the Lions. We broke up with the Lions. We actually started dating the Indianapolis Colts, all right, because they had Peyton Manning. And I will tell you that we started slumming it again a couple years later. We went back to the Detroit Lions. But, man, it was so good to, like, date a winning team for a little while. It was amazing. But the truth is most fans are kind of like that. The loyalty that they feel, the excitement level that they carry depends on the win-loss column. When they're winning, man, you're all in. When they're not winning, eh, you find other stuff to do. You're not really that into it. Well, here's the reality of our spiritual lives is we can do the same thing with Jesus. We're a big fan of his when he is taking care of us and he gives us what we want and things are going well, but we turn away when things aren't going our way, the going gets tough, or following him actually begins to cost us something. What you find is when, it's, when things are going well, it's, Jesus has a lot of fans, but as you get to know Jesus, you find that he was never interested in having fans. He was interested in followers. And I'll just say this. If you want your life to become what it was meant to be by God, if you want to have the impact that you dream of having on this earth and in your family, if you want to have all the blessing and all the joy that your life could possibly have, then a follower of Jesus is what you need to become. It's what you want to become. So here's the question I want to ask you today, and only you know the answer to this. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you're not a follower, how do you go from being a fan to being a follower? And this is where we begin our journey with Nicodemus. And through this story, I want to give us three waypoints along the journey to becoming a follower of Jesus. Because Nicodemus started out in one place, ended in another. And you and I will most probably follow the same progression as we kind of journey from fan to follower um, so let's jump in. Let me give you a little bit of background on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a big deal, okay? Um, he's a big deal. He's a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a religious leader. It was, and the Sanhedrin was like the Supreme Court of ancient Israel. Um, there's about 70, 70 guys on it. The uh, Sanhedrin had its own police force. They could actually issue the death penalty. They were that powerful. They couldn't kill you, but they could issue the death penalty, and then Rome would come along and, and kill you. Nicodemus was a powerful man among the Jews. He was smart. He was successful. He was accomplished. Think um, in our culture, think senator of the United States, Harvard law professor, and influential pastor. Okay, he was all three of those wrapped up into one. He was a big deal. And Jesus, at the time, was already starting to make enemies. Um, he spoke very plainly and very uh, bluntly against many of the religious leaders. Um, it was a really intense time. The religious leaders began to fear losing their power because here's this guy, Jesus, coming along. He's healing people. He's teaching with authority. And people are starting to stop following them, and they're beginning to follow Jesus. So they're losing influence and power. So it's a very intense time where they, they really hate Jesus. Nicodemus should have hated Jesus when we find him in this story, but there was something about Nicodemus that had, about Jesus that had piqued Nicodemus's interest. Nicodemus was at the first waypoint of becoming a follower of Jesus, even before becoming a fan. Nicodemus was a secret admirer of Jesus. We find Nicodemus is a secret admirer, and he decides, I have to meet with Jesus. I need to talk with Jesus. We find Nicodemus in John 3, 1 through 21. Um, in John 3, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. I just gave you the backdrop of what that one sentence means. That's why it's so important to have context. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, which means teacher. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. 
your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, one of the first things that jumps out at us is when did Nicodemus come to see Jesus? When did he come? It was that night, right? That's why we call this story Nick at night, okay? That's why we call it that. Why did he come see Jesus at night? Why did he? Just think about it. Why did he come at night? No one would see him. No one would know that he was meeting with Jesus. There was too much to lose if Nicodemus was seen in the daytime meeting with Jesus. At the very least, he would lose his, his position in the Sanhedrin, and he would lose his reputation as a religious leader because he is now talking with the enemy. He is now giving, giving clout to the enemy of the Sanhedrin. But if he could speak with Jesus at night when no one was around, maybe he could follow Jesus secretly. Without anybody knowing it and without impacting his job, his friends and family, they wouldn't even have to know. It wouldn't disrupt his comfortable and established life. But as many of us know, following Jesus just isn't that simple ever. Nicodemus also reveals in this passage that they know where he came from. Now think about that. All of the religious leaders, all of the Sanhedrin, they know that God sent Jesus. They know. Nicodemus is letting look, we know where you're from. And Nicodemus is saying, I have watched you, Jesus. I have heard you teach, Jesus, and I am being moved by what I have seen. Jesus had captured Nicodemus's imagination. And really what Nicodemus is saying to Jesus is, I'm open to you. I'm open. Sometimes, you know how you start a spiritual journey, how you start a relationship with Jesus? It just begins by being open to him. Just opening up your mind, opening up your heart to what Jesus might have to say. And what happens next, where Nicodemus says, I'm open to you, Jesus gives this religious giant the secret to finding God. A secret that begins to change his life from the moment he hears it. Verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, Nick, that's disgusting and would kill your mother. <laughs> Look, for such a smart guy, that is an idiot question, isn't it? It's like, what do you mean? An old guy? I got to go back into my mother's womb? But here's the deal. There is so much more to this question than, than, than the answer than meets the eye. See, Nicodemus believed that he was someone who had already inherited the kingdom of God because of his first natural birth. He was a Jew. He was Jewish by birth. Therefore, he already had the kingdom of God. That is what he believed. My bloodline makes it clear that I am in the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, that doesn't matter. So here is this Jew, this Jewish man, Jewish by birth, educated, influential, lived his whole life following strict guidelines, studying God's word, and Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, that's not enough. Nicodemus, that doesn't matter. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Now, born of water means water baptism, which is what we did a couple of months ago um, out, out front of the building. And it, we have another one coming up in November, if that's your next step spiritually. Um, it says you need to be born, born again. You need to be born of water and of spirit. 
Now, Jesus picks this birth metaphor incredibly strategically um, because, it, unfortunately, in the U.S., born again um, really has kind of lost its magic and its luster. In fact, it actually uh, it, it has a lot of cultural and spiritual baggage. Like, I mean, who wants to be born again? We've heard about those born agains, those born again people, and it's usually a negative connotation. Well, this is where we get it from. It's from Jesus saying, Nicodemus, if you want to be in the kingdom of God someday, you have to be born again. And he used it very, very specifically, um, especially with this idea of birth. So here's a question, and this is one of the other reasons Jesus used this metaphor. I have a question for you about your birth. Um, what do you remember about your birth? <coughs> what do you remember? Anything? Anybody got anything? It's like, it was dark and, and warm and it was a little wet. But, and then, you know, I saw light, you know, the, the tunnel. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Probably shouldn't do that. Um, get in trouble doing that. Um, but, but, but nobody remembers anything about their birth. Why? Because you did nothing. You did absolutely. You laid there, and you were, like, pushed and squished and pulled out of your mom or shot out of your mom. She really didn't want you there anymore. Like, you just, you were, it just happened to you. You were born. The baby does nothing to be born. I did so little at my birth, I don't even remember it, right? It's like, I don't have a clue what happened. I don't remember the day because I did nothing. You know who did do something was my mother did something. My, the, 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 the mom does all the work to create the birth. I remember when Melissa was giving birth to our four kids, not at once. They were like one at a time. Um, but the most incredible, uh, it was the most incredible and disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life at that point. It was like, wow, ooh, wow, oh, uh, man, this is, ooh, this is so cool. You know, it's like, it was just one of those moments where it was incredible and gross at the same time. I remember being so thankful in that moment. I'm so thankful that I'm not a woman. Like I was like, thank you, God, I do not have to do this because I would just not do it. I always say if men gave birth, there would have been like one generation and no more, because men would have been like, uh-uh, not again, never again. It would have been done. Um, but, but here's the deal. You, you did nothing to be born. You could also say that you really didn't have a part in it except for showing up, and it's just like the work that God does in someone being born again. It has nothing to do with their work. It's all God's work. It's all his effort. Being born again has nothing to do with rules and following rules or, or being religious or anything that you can do to make a spiritual birth happen, which must have been absolutely maddening for Nicodemus. Like, I could just see him going, what? You're kidding me. I've been working my whole life for this. I've given up my life to do every single thing the right way so that I could inherit the kingdom of God. I was even born in the right culture and in the right people group. And you're saying it doesn't matter? Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. He had worked so hard to become a Pharisee, and Jesus says, none of that matters, Nicodemus. Verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And Jesus is just saying, look, there's a mystery to God. Meaning that you, you, can, you can explain being born, uh, born again, to, you can't explain being born again to people with facts and data. You can't do it. There's an internal change that happens. You become a follower of Jesus Christ that you can't explain because he's doing the work, the soul part of us coming alive. We're going from dead on a soul level to coming alive spiritually. You can't explain that with data and numbers. It's, it's a mystery, the peace that comes from internal resources rather than external circumstances. There's a mystery there that God gives to those who are spiritually alive. 
Jesus changes, his, changes us on the inside. You just can't explain that, but you know it's there. It's interesting. It's just like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, but you see the effect. Verse 9, how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? Like He's like, how do you not get, I can't say it any plainer. And then here in the middle of the night, one-on-one, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a few verses later, Jesus utters the most quoted passage of scripture in all of history, John 3.16. This is the context that John 3.16 is spoken you see it at almost every sporting event in the crowd somewhere. When you get home, if you catch the tail end of, of the World Cup, you will see it somewhere when they show pictures of the crowd. John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. Past tense. He gave his one and only son. Past tense. It's already been done. He's already said, I love you. He's already given his son. So that everyone who believes, present tense, big deal on these tense, tenses. So everyone who believes in him will not perish but have now eternal life. Most quoted verse in all of history was actually spoken in the middle of the night, one-on-one, in a room between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in this one verse, you have everything you need to know and everything you need to do to be saved. Everything you need to know is that God saved the world, loved the world. He loved the world, you and me, so much that he gave his one and only son. committed no sin to die in place of those who are uh, those of us that have sinned. In other words, that you might think, well, I don't really sin that much. Any wayward thought you've had, anything where you've known the right thing to do and you haven't done it, any, any, anything that you've done that just is, is off the mark is called sin. And so all you need to know to be saved is that God loved you so much that he gave his son to pay for your sin, who had no sin to pay for your sin. That's all you need to know. God loved and God gave. And all you need to do, it's so simple, all you need to do is believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day to pay for your sins and defeat death forever. That's all you have to do is believe, and when you do that, you receive eternal life. You are spiritually reborn. What did you do to be born? Nothing. What, what do you have to do to be reborn spiritually? Nothing but believe and receive. In one verse, Nicodemus was told by Jesus everything he needed to know, everything he needed to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes on, verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And to Nicodemus, Jesus just obliterated his entire way of life by revealing that, hey, Nicodemus, God's not interested in your religion. God's not interested in your position. God's not interested in anything but you having a relationship with, Jesus, with, with me. That's what he's saying. It's like, that's what God wants. It's all relationship. Righteous acts, religious rituals, uh, that's not the measurements of a follower. For Nicodemus to become a follower, he would have to humble himself and be born again spiritually into a whole new way of life. And Jesus made it really clear being a secret admirer was not enough. Even being a religious person that does right things, not enough. It's only through being born again spiritually, relationship. So to believe in Jesus, Nicodemus realizes he can't be a secret admirer anymore and he has to change. And from that encounter, the next time we meet Dick Nicodemus, next time he shows up in scripture, um, he's at the second waypoint to becoming a follower of Jesus. He started out as a secret admirer 
And now we find four chapters later in scripture that he has gone from a secret admirer to a fan. He's hit the second waypoint, secret admirer to, the fa to a fan. Jesus' popularity has exploded at this time. Um, there's a lot of fear going on in the religious governing body, which is Nicodemus is, is in that group. The Pharisees are trying to get Jesus arrested and brought in by the temple police. So they send the police out to arrest him. They come back empty-handed. Um, and then, then John 7, verse 45, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? And they replied, well, we have never heard anybody speak like this. They're like, well, he's just awesome. Like, he's the best. He just talks, and we've never heard this before. And they're like, so they're, they're like super frustrated. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? They're talking for all 70 of them. This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. And then here comes our man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus finally steps up. He shows up in scripture again in verse 50. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is even given a hearing, he asked? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And what happens in this moment is Nicodemus chooses to side with Jesus. Now he gets roughed up for being a fan, for choosing the side of Jesus, for speaking up and going against the grain. But you can see that his heart is beginning to change because Nicodemus is going public. He allows what he believes to interfere with his work with his relationships, with his financial future. In the moment, he is now kind of out. He's kind of like come out and said, hey, I'm letting it be known. My heart is leaning towards Jesus. Nicodemus stands up for Jesus and reveals that his heart is on the move, but with a little bit of pushback, he sits right back down. Did you notice that? A little bit of pushback, he sits right back down. He's still just a fan. And here's where you got to look. Fans will do the things that are easy that Jesus asked. If you're a fan of Jesus, the easy stuff, Go to church. Hey, when I can fit it in, sure. Um, flip a few bucks in the offering. Yeah, whatever's in my pocket. Sometimes I'll do that. Try not to cuss too much. Try not to drink too much. Try to not lie or cheat too much. Um, you know, it doesn't get much past intermittent effort if you're a fan or, you know, maybe a, an occasional commitment um, every now and then to doing things God's way. That's kind of the way fans are. But when Jesus comes and asks for more, um, fans aren't willing to do the more part. Um, like when Jesus says, hey, I want you to deny yourself, a fan will just flat say no. I'm not denying myself. Uh, when Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to forgive your enemies, a fan will say, not interested. Uh, when Jesus says, hey, I want you to do your relationships and do your marriage and do your dating, my way, a fan says, sorry, I'm not willing to sacrifice myself for you. I'm not sacrificing my needs to follow you. For a fan, when Jesus comes and says, I want you to tithe and give a tenth of your income, a fan just says, I'm not willing to do that, but I'll, I'll tip you a little bit. When, when Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to serve in the church to make the church happen and to make all the things that happen on Sunday mornings, a, a fan will say, I don't really have time to make a commitment. I'm really busy and I got a lot of other stuff going on. When Jesus comes to a fan and says, trust me with your whole life, a fan says, I will trust you with parts of my life. Let's just do parts. Not willing to go with the whole thing, but I'll give you some of the parts, the easier parts I'll give to you. Well, Nicodemus in chapter 7, what is he revealing? That he is beginning to move from being, not, this is not a secret admirer anymore. He's gone to fan and he's revealing that he's actually a fan now that's leaning towards becoming a follower. He's starting to stand up for Jesus. He's starting to let it be known that he's, a fo he's, 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 he's uh, sympathetic to Jesus. 
by the time he shows up again in scripture, what you find at the end of John 19 is that he has made it to the third waypoint, which I'm not going to give just yet. Uh, we're going to receive our offering right now. And so, um, ushers, if you guys can bring the offering baskets down. And let me just say this. Um, for those of you that are visiting, you're new here, um, this is the only moment of this service that is not for you. We are just really grateful that you're here. Um, let the basket go by. We're, we, I don't want you to feel any anxiety in this moment. No one's looking at you out of the side of their eye or anything. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. Um, this last week, we voted on our upcoming year's budget. Thank you for all of you that voted. It passed with 99% of yeses, uh, which is totally awesome. Thank you for, for being a part of that. But for those of you that call Kensington home, you're on mission with us. Like you are all about reaching this people for Christ. Thank you for being in it with us financially as well. And for those of you that give online, thank you so much um, for, for what you do to allow us to continue to pursue the mission that God has for us. So Nicodemus has gone from, um, uh, from secret admirer to fan. And he's finally, by the end of John 19, he's made a transition. He has gone from fan to follower. He's hit the third waypoint, from fan to follower. And uh, let me just set this up for you. The Sanhedrin had finally succeeded. They had Jesus arrested, accused, and beaten, and then crucified. And it is after this, after Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is still on the cross, dead, that Nicodemus shows up again. John 19, verse 38. Afterward. Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate, who was the leader of, the, of that area for Rome, for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away, and with him came who? Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and alloys, and they took Jesus' body down, and they wrapped it in, uh, in, in all of those spices and then placed his body in a tomb. And I think it is safe to infer that sometime between the midnight meeting with Jesus and this moment, Nicodemus had been born again. Nicodemus had been born spiritually. He was letting everybody know in that moment that he wasn't going to live in the shadows anymore. He wasn't going to follow rule following to make his way to, to, to heaven. He was going to live out his faith in the light and risk associating with Jesus. In fact, associating with him as one of those most closely identified with him. Author R.J. Miller, he asked this question, and this is fascinating. He says, when someone dies, who cares for the body? Who cares for the body? family, right? Like when someone dies, it's typically the family, those closest to him, that to them that take care of the body. Well, here's what's interesting. Jesus' own brother and disciples weren't interested or not available to take care of the body. So Joseph and Nicodemus take this moment to reveal that not only are they followers of Jesus, but they have made Jesus their own flesh and blood. They have brought Jesus into their family where they were the ones taking him down off the cross. They are now true believers, and get this, they're followers of Jesus, and Jesus hasn't even been raised from the dead yet. That's incredible faith for these men that were in the shadows. They were now followers. They didn't care about the cost. They were ready to give up their lives for the sake of following Jesus. They were all in, in historical sources outside the Bible. And many scholars, you know what they tell us is that Nicodemus and Joseph, they eventually lost their position as Pharisees. They were kicked out of the Sanhedrin, and they were actually banished from Jerusalem. That was what they paid for following Jesus. 
which gets us back to our question, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Most of us, we don't mind um, Jesus making some minor changes in our lives, but, you know, Jesus wants to turn your whole life upside down. That's what he does. Fans, we, their fans really don't mind Jesus doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. That's what he wants to do. Fans come in thinking, uh, they think, hey, Jesus, we just need a little tune-up. Jesus comes in thinking, no, complete overhaul. Uh, fans, we want a facelift from Jesus, and Jesus says, no, I want to do a heart transplant. And I'll just say this, God doesn't want to partially bless your old life so you can keep as much as, as, much of it as you can. He doesn't want to bless, partially bless your whole life, your old life. He wants to bless you with a whole new way of life. That's what Jesus is interested in. He doesn't want to partially bless your old life. He wants to bless you with a whole new way of life, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of following him. He wants, he wants you to take from you focusing on your life to focusing on other people's lives, from, from, uh, from you focusing from, from uh, receiving to giving. He wants to change the scoreboard in your life from what you can get from others and, to, and from God to what you can give to others and to God. Jesus said it this way, Mark 8, 34, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, that's what we're talking about, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So to follow Jesus means what? It's to pick up your cross in this life so that when we get to heaven, we can pick up a crown. What it means to follow Jesus is choosing to do life's, life God's way now so that someday in heaven, you can have God's kind of life. In Jesus' day, a cross wasn't just a symbol of pain and suffering. It was mainly a symbol of death. And what Jesus is telling them, if you want to follow me, you need to put to death your own plans and your own desires and your own way of life and, and turn your life over to, to Jesus. Do God's will every day. Jesus doesn't just call us to believe that he existed or even to believe that he can save us. He actually calls us to commit our whole lives to him. That's what followers do. They trust him alone with their salvation, and then they follow him as his disciples. And so the invitation for all of us is to follow Jesus with all of your life, not part of it, but all of it. And I'll tell you, for some of you, today is the day where you finally step across the line of faith. Maybe today, for some of you, you go from fan to true follower. Maybe today you say, you know what? I'm in. I'm in, just like Joseph and Nicodemus were. I'm now in. Maybe today is your day to be born again, to come alive spiritually for the first time and accept the free gift of salvation, to find security in your name being written in the book of life, meaning when you stand before God someday, you will be, your name will be in the book as saved, as follower of Jesus. And so if today's your day, I want to give you the chance right now to accept Christ. So I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, everybody in the room, and we're just going to take a moment out of this service, and I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus. If this is your first time, um, and you want to start a new relationship in your life with Jesus and go from fan to follower, I want to invite you just to, to pray with me and to repeat my words. And there's nothing special about the words. It really is the posture of your heart to Jesus. So you can just borrow my words. You don't have to say them out loud. Jesus hears you. And you can just say something like this to him. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world 
I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose again, and I place my faith in him. I pray that you'll forgive me for my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm experiencing right now and help me become a follower of yours. God, I surrender my life to you. And Lord, for those of us in the room that we're kind of listening to this message and you're kind of speaking to our hearts and we're realizing that Maybe at some point we were real, really following you with our whole lives, but we've kind of backed off and we would actually call ourselves more fans now than followers. Lord, would you just reveal to us those areas of our lives that we need to hand back over to your control so that we can follow you and experience all the blessings that come along with that. And God, give us the strength to do that. God, I thank you for your word and for your ability to speak to us through your story. Lord, help us to grow and be a room full, a church full of followers of yours, not fans, not secret admirers, but followers. In your holy name, amen.